0: So this week, there is no Parsha, because this week, we don't read the annual cycle of the 53-54 portions of the Torah, because this Shabbat is a holiday, it's the Sukkot holiday, we'll talk about that in a moment, and whenever you have a holiday, so you read the specific portion of the holiday instead of the... Torah portion of the annual cycle which means that this week and next week we're not going to be having a Torah portion but rather a holiday Torah portion. Okay so let's talk about the Sukkot let's talk a little bit about the history and let's talk about it what it can mean to us today. So the word Sukkah is actually a hut and what it means is that this holiday we are told that we need to go out of our houses and into the huts and the law is the hebrew words is which means what you would normally do in your house you do in the in the sukkah, which primarily defines itself by eating um and and interesting by sleeping and i say interesting because in Chabad, from the first of Tshir and where he took it from, whether he probably took it from his teacher, the Magi, who took it from his teacher, the Baal Shem Tov, but actually those in tune with Kabbalah and spirituality do not sleep in the sukkah. And, and there's a reason why, and we're going to talk about it soon, but I just want to first get the law. Now the question is why? Why do we need to eat in the sukkah, in the hut, and why do we need to do the kein to do to do our our living, a uh, dwelling place should be the sukkah rather than the home. And the answer, by the way, just to be clear, the prayers and the studies um, aren't done in the sukkah; they're done in the shul. Um, but the the eating part, the family part, is done in the um, in the sukkah. Now, the reason is, simply the verse tells us, because when God took us out of Egypt, we were dwelling for 40 years in the desert in tents. Now, number one, practically speaking, there was tents. That's how they, That's how people lived for the 40 years. I mean, they, they were moving, and then how did they live? They had tents. Um, there are those that say that, it also refers specifically to the special tent that God surrounded us with, which is the clouds. And according to the Rebbe's teaching, there was two sets of clouds. One set of clouds was simply to protect us. And then there was another cloud, which was called Ananei Hakavod, which was not about protecting us, but simply about honoring. It was a presence of divinity, which let the nations of the world know the glory that God showered upon the people by his presence being with them. So there you have the two reasons for the Sukkot, uh, or two parts of one reason, The fact that we physically lived, when we left Egypt, we lived in Sukkot as we traveled until we reached Israel, and referring to the clouds of glory that God formed around us as a tent when we were traveling in the desert from Egypt to Israel. Which leads us to a simple question. Why do we have to do Sukkot now? in September slash October time, depending how the Jewish calendar lines up, why don't we do it Passover? If it has to do with the exodus of Egypt, well, Passover is the time in which the exodus took place, on the 15th of the month of Nisan. Again, March, April, depending on the uh, how the Jewish calendar and the secular Gregorian calendar align. But that's a simple question everyone asks. We should have our Passover Seder with our matzah and our maror, all of that we should have in the, in, the, um, in the sukkah, in the hut. And if we're not going to do the actual Seder there because then we were still in Egypt, and then the night after, the next day, at least the next couple of days, the rest of Passover other than the Seder night, why don't we do it in the sukkah if the sukkah is all about remembering the exodus from Egypt? Our sages give a reason. So before I get into the sages' reason, the simple answer is because the Torah tells us exactly what date we should do it on. And on the 15th day of the seventh month, that's when we do it. But the sages give a reason because were we to do it on Passover time, it would not be perceived as a religious thing, but rather in spring, many people go out to have picnics. And therefore, it would be losing the divinity and religious relationship, the spirituality of it, but rather, hey, everyone does their picnics and the Jews do their picnics and they have their special hut. So therefore, it would, that's what the sages explain. God moved it to the fall when people are no more having picnics, they're already back into the house. <laughs> it was funny. After we build a sukkah here in front of my apartment, we build a community sukkah. Um, we were driving, and as you know, it was raining today in Florida. <laughs> I just told my son, So, how do you know Sukkot is coming? And my daughter just laughed and said, Because it's raining. Yep, yeah, it's definitely not about just the physical experience, there's a spiritual religiosity to it as well. Anyway, I also want to share one more thing about Sukkot before we get into the mystical dimension of it. So another thing about Sukkot, and um, Arnold and I were talking about it before the class started, there is the special commandment of taking the four species, and you shall take for yourself, and it names four species. Actually, it doesn't name all of them. One of them is just called pre hadar, a beautiful fruit of a tree, and the sages um, learn out from this which one it is, and they extrapolate, and, and they have their proof that it's referring to what we call the esrig. The esrig is a citrus fruit. And actually I can just I have sets here. I can just show you quickly the esrig. Um this is what the esrig looks like. Right here. If you see it, this is the esrig. And together with that, we take a palm branch one that didn't open yet. You know, the leaves didn't open, it's all straight. We take the myrtle, we take three myrtle branches and we take two willow branches. And simply speaking, the Torah does not give any reason why God chose these four, why these four have to do specifically with um, the holiday of Sukkot. But the law is that we take them and we bring them all together as one bundle, right? Here's going to be the palm with the leaves around it, the, 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 two, the three myrtles and the two, the other way around, the three myrtles on the right, the two willows on the left. And then you have the estrig, you hold it together and you wave it from your heart to all six directions. Up, right, right, left, front, back, up. I'm sorry, right, left, up, down, front, back. Now, our sages we're going to talk about this in a moment, explain what the secret of these four species are and why specifically on Sukkot. With that being said, I want to now get into some mystical teachings. And why am I getting into the mystical teachings? It is not for for really understanding the mystical side of Sukkot. Rather, I have a specific goal with teaching and mystical reasons? And the answer is because, the reason is because every physical mitzvah that we do in the macroscopic world exists within the human being, the microscopic world. For example, just throw out there an example. Specifically about these four species, we are taught that the etrog, the citrus fruit, represents the heart, The palm branch represents the spine. We talk about the myrtle and the willows representing the eyes and the lips. That's one of the teachings. So basically every mitzvah we do, we have to do it physically. It's not about spiritual meditation and inner work physically it has to be done. You have to take these four and you have to actually get them and make the blessing. You have to build a sukkah. The walls of the sukkah can be made out of anything. The roof of the sukkah is the only one that has strict laws what it can be made out of. And it has to be made of something that grows from the ground, that's disconnected from the ground, which isn't big enough to be a vessel for itself to receive tuma to become impure. So, you know, people traditionally will use bamboo sticks. Um, In Florida, people also use palm branches. In New York, we didn't really have palm branches, we used pine. Um, uh, So those are disconnected from the ground and placed on the roof. So this has to be done physically. There is a legal measurement to what the minimum size of a sukkah is, and there's laws about how high a sukkah can be. There's special laws. So these are physical laws that if you're going to meditate on the mystical intentions and experience the spirituality of it, but you didn't actually have a kosher sukkah and sit in the sukkah, or you didn't take physically the four species hold them the right way and make the blessing on it the right way you did not do the mitzvah meditation spirituality is secondary why is it secondary so the way it's taught in kabbalah is doing the physical mitzvah is building the house the spiritual intentions and experience is turning on the light now to have a light without a house is useless To have a house without a light, it's a shame because you can have the light there, but at least you have the house. And that's the primary. And thus the law in Kabbalah that's going to talk about all the spirituality is going to repeatedly tell you, that action is the main thing. Now, with all that said, nevertheless, every mitzvah has its spirituality in the microscopic world which is each and every one of us. And you'll always have this in all the Kabbalistic teachings, whether it be the mitzvah putting on the tefillin for men over 13, whether it be the Shabbat, whether it be the Passover, a war between Moses and Pharaoh. You're gonna, you're gonna learn that there's a Pharaoh within us and there's a Moses within us. The Pharaoh doesn't wanna let us go. Moses says, let my people go. And what you'll always have that in every single mitzvah and every single holiday. What we're going to do here is we're going to get into the deeper mystical side of it, which seems to be so abstract, and then specifically from the abstract mystical, we're going to be able to get personal and talk about ourselves. In order to start with the mystical, I want to share with you, according to Kabbalah, what exactly is going on with the Sukkah. As I mentioned to you, The walls of the sukkah can be made out of anything, anything. Literally, I remember in New York, there was a guy who built a sukkah out of those red Coca-Cola things that you hold six bottles. They literally work like Lego. He literally built a sukkah out of it with a window. You can make sukkahs out of whatever you want. It's the schach, the roof, the covering, that has all the specific laws. Kabbalah explains that in the mystical, spiritual level, you should know that it's the smoke of Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies, which becomes the schach, the roof of your sukkah. Let's back up. Let's get the backstory. The most, the most pivotal moment, as we understand it, of Yom Kippur is when the high priest brought the incense into the Holy of Holies and, he, and you had to add on a special ingredient called male ashan, it's a type of grass that would cause it to create a huge amount of smoke. And, and definitely, according to my Maimonides, and, and almost most opinions will tell you, that that is a biblical obligation to have that ingredient specifically on Yom Kippur. You also used it on the daily ones, but then there are those that say that it's not a biblical. If you didn't use it, it wouldn't become unfit. But on Yom Kippur, if you didn't use that ingredient called male ashan to make it smoke up, you, you did not do the mitzvah. So the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with that special golden shovel. Gold? I'm not sure. I think it was golden. And he would have over there the coils, the incense and that special grass and he would move it onto the coals and it would fill up the entire room with smoke, ashan. And then he would leave and then towards the end of the day, he would come back and take out the shovel. Now, this smoke in Kabbalah is huge. It's a big, big thing. The Hebrew word for smoke is ashan, which is made up of three letters, three Hebrew letters, the ayin, the shin, and the nun. And that is an acronym. The ayin stands for olam, which represents space. The shin is for shana, which means year, which represents the, um, the, the uh, time. And the nun stands for Nishama, which means the soul. And the unity and the oneness of, of time, space, and soul takes place in, the, in its oneness with God in the holy of holies on Yom Kippur. So there you go. So you're in the holiest place, in the holiest time of the year, by the holiest soul of the people, the high priest. Comes along Kabbalah and says that that smoke is what formulates the roof of the sukkah on a spiritual level. The highest of the highest of Yom Kippur becomes the sukkah. And now we need to understand what that means and how we can relate to this in a practical level. So number one, I want to point out something immediately that you're going to see as amazing. On Yom Kippur, the holy priest had to walk out. He wasn't allowed to be within the smoke. On the sukkah, on the mystical level that the smoke is the roof, the whole mitzvah of sukkah is to walk into the sukkah and not just to do the holy of holy stuff. We're talking about sleeping. We're talking about eating. What's going on here? If the smoke is the holiest of the holiest, then what's, what are we doing these things here? for? All of a sudden, it becomes okay, not only for the high priest, but for everyone, not only for everyone, but to even do their physical eating and, and sleeping there. Number one. Now, to understand this, I want to talk a little bit about the high holidays and Sukkot. There's a verse that says, it refers to the left hand, smol, Tachat l'roshi. The left hand reaches the head, below the head. Yemini t'chapkeini. And your right hand hugs me and embraces me. Now, When we talk about the left in Kabbalah, we're talking about the attribute of justice and strictness. When we talk about the right in Kabbalah, we're talking about kindness, benevolence. Now, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as much as we talk about the intimacy of those amazing days, Nevertheless, they are called yamim noraim, which means days of awe. Awe is from the left family, not the right. Number one. Number two, on every holiday, for example, you sing sing the joyous praise of Hallel. You don't do that on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur because it's not considered a joyous holiday. Then on top of that, there is a verse that says Gila birada, rejoice with trembling because even the joy that we have that God gave us these amazing two, th- two holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the New Year and the Day of Atonement, but it's all about trembling. It's a day of justice. It's a day of judgment. Now, how do we deal with that on the spiritual microscopic level? The microscopic level of the left is the more earnest accounting of my actions and how they have created distance between God and me. So even though the verse says that God's glory fills the entire world, nevertheless, and there's nothing that that gets in the way of God's presence everywhere, nevertheless, the prophet states, That the only separation there is between the wall of separation, the machitza, the partition between God and us, is our sins. Thus, the days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a primary focus to think about that there's a piece of God within me, each and every one of us. There's a piece of God within me. And when I do things, I draw that piece of God with me into what I do. So when I do things that are inappropriate, when I do things that are less than godly, when I do things that are non-kosher, or the mere fact that I spend most of my brain, my passion, and my heart to pursue a livelihood rather than to live a spiritual life, all of this is forms of separation. So on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're dealing primarily with the left, which reaches beneath the head. Now, before I go back to that, I want to just share, now goes the second half of of the verse, which is that the holiday of Sukkot is about Yemini Tichapkeni with the right hand, we're embracing and hugging, being embraced, being hugged by God. Now, I want to go back for another moment. If you notice, the verse talks about that the left reaches up to the head. Small tachat le-roshi. Roshi, rosh is a head. While the right hand only reaches the hug. Now, why do I say the word only? Because when you hug a guy, you don't wrap your, head, your hands around his head. You wrap your hands around, you know, pretty much shoulder and um, uh, chest thus kabbalah says you see that the left side reaches higher than the than the right side why so it's pretty much like that rule that says that you know absence makes the heart grow fonder so the soul because of the absence because of my separating my soul from god and through my actions my mundane and non-spiritual non-kosher actions So therefore, the soul has a much stronger yearning, almost like when you build a dam in a river, the current builds, the current builds, the current builds, until it builds enough to bust through the dam. So therefore, Kabbalah tells us that far more than just thinking about the love and the closeness, by being able to face the reality of our distance from God, We build up such a strong current of of yearning to go back home to God. When I say go back home, I don't mean to to die, God forbid. I mean to live under the light of God, that that creates an even greater connection that not only do we hug at chest level, but we reach to the head. I want to get just a little bit more mystical so we can really appreciate what it means That the smoke of Yom Kippur, the incense, the Holy of Holies, becomes the roof of the sukkah to which we walk into. All year round, our relationship with God is one of logical... It's a comfort zone. When it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, When it comes to the high holidays, our job is, as we spoke in the sermons, that it's about reaching mamakim, depths of depths. And what that means is that on Yom Kippur, and on Rosh Hashanah, but primarily on Yom Kippur, and primarily at that representation of being in the holy of holies on the holiest of days with your, the holiest point of your soul. It's really all about cracking through all the layers. Now, when I say layers here, I don't mean layers of just layers of the other side, the unholy, but I'm talking about even of the holy side, the soul has layers. The soul has garments, which are called thought, speech, and actions. The good soul has emotions. The soul has intellects. And the soul has a power of will. These are all layers because at the heart of it all is a pure peace of God. God is neither will, neither intellect, neither emotions, neither thoughts, neither speech, neither action. So Yom Kippur, when we talk about being in the Holy of Holies, what that represents in the microscopic world is there should be a moment in Yom Kippur where you just broke free from all the limitations of comfort zones, of logic. You should reach that inner child peace within you in the sense of that peace of God that doesn't have a logical connection with God, doesn't understand cause and effect, doesn't understand retribution and reward. It just is. Its relationship with God is completely about its beingness and not at all about its doingness, as we spoke in the sermons. Thus, we understand that we have to reach what we call, in in Yiddish, they call it pintalayid. In Spanish, they translate it as chispa de judío. It's that little spark within you, which is a pure piece of God. That, and only that, is the true essence moment of the high priest within me. That high priest being within the holy of holies on the holiest of moments, that's what that represents. Now, The problem with that is that you can't, that's not sustainable on a day-to-day level. To be able to live with your pintalayid, to be able to just be completely irrational, illogical, completely transcending, way out of your comfort zone and nothing exists but God and everything is God and God is everything. There's a reason to connect with that. But ultimately speaking, the reason to connect with it is not to connect with it, but to later be able to carry something of that into my day-to-day life, including my day-to-day mundane life. Thus, Yom Kippur can't be the end of the journey. Rather, Yom Kippur is the pinnacle of the journey, and we cannot... Move in to the pinnacle of our being, but rather we have to now. That's only halfway through the journey. The second half is to bring down what we have connected with at the pinnacle of our journey. Thus, the job of Sukkot and the job of Shmini Atzeret, the second part of this holiday. What it really is all about, if I'm going to use, you know, certain language, and I mean, I'm going to take the liberty to use it, it's what makes Yom Kippur real. Not that Yom Kippur is not real. If you don't have this, obviously, if someone, you know, God forbid, dies the moment after Yom Kippur, they reach the pinnacle and it was real, and they were completely forgiven, and and, and they're going straight to heaven, all true. But from the greater purpose of creation where God didn't create people so that they should reach a pinnacle and die, but rather they should be able to reach a pinnacle, drink from the well of their beingness, so that they can later now move on and go back to living a day-to-day life with God, in which the spirituality won't be intense, but it'll be real that's what the holiday of Sukkot is. The holiday of Sukkot is to take, and you know what? I'm going to tell you a, a cute teaching of the Holy Bal Shem Tov, just to put things in perspective. So as we mentioned, right? We learn it from the verses. We learn it from our teachings that on the day of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, everyone's um, fate for the year is sealed. How much money they're going to make, their health, whatever it may be, everything is sealed on that day. Those days, those three days. Now, it says in the Talmud that there are three keys that God does not give over to angels, but he himself has to do it. One of those three keys is the key of parnasa, the key of earning a living. So the Baal Shem Tov said, why can't God send a, an angel to do that? Really? God has to personally deliver to every human being what he promised him he's going to earn for that year? So he explains like this the Boshemta. He said, Because God gave it first to the angels and told the angel, You remember that guy? You remember Yankala? He was sitting in Shul and he was so serious and so pure, and we promised him a year of abundance. We gotta deliver on our promise. And God told the angel, Go deliver to Yankala this, this blessing of abundance. The angel comes down to earth travels around the whole earth he's looking for yanko he knows that yanko is supposed to live in this little shtetl he can't find yanko he thinks himself was yanko killed by mistake he goes up to to look in in the afterlife yanko's not there he comes back to god and the angel says to god god you sent me to bring this to yanko i can't find yanko i can't find him god laughs and said come with me i want to show you he takes him back to the shtetl and he sees in the market over there. You see that guy who's telling the not truth? You see the guy that's finagling and handling in a less than respectable way? You see that guy who's gossiping? That's the same Yanko who is sitting in the shul on Yom Kippur so pure. You don't recognize him no more, but that's who he is. In other words, when it comes to Yom Kippur, everyone is pure and holy at some point in the day you really realize i don't want anything but to do what god wants me to do the angel sees that my god it's beautiful (laughs) but then two weeks later when he has to deliver on the goods he doesn't recognize us we're not the same person sukkot is the bridge between the purity and holiness of yom kippur and the regular mundane rat race life. Thus, we have to somehow be able to not have to leave the holy of holies because the smoke of the intense oneness of the essence of my soul with God is bonding and I can't deal with it, but rather we have to find a way to slowly draw it into my life so that I can take the Yom Kippur experience and turn it into just this little simple thing called not gossiping. The little simple thing called being honest. The little simple thing called caring for another human being. So in Yom Kippur, you don't have this. You're so lost in the who's thinking about not lying, gossiping, of course, we'll never lie again. We'll never gossip again. I'm gonna care about every one of God's creatures. But then, when you get real about it, when your kippah goes on, we can't hold it. We can't hold that feeling. Thus, the job is that that smoke becomes but a roof under which we enter and we eat and we sleep and we invite guests and we talk with our family. We sit around the table and we sing. That's the part which is supposed to take Yom Kippur and bring it into the Manic Monday. Now we understand the deeper meaning of what this sukkah is here to accomplish. I want to share it with you this way. I heard in the name of a very great chassid, his name was Armendel Futafas, he said like this, you can't take the whole mountain and put it into your pocket. But you can chip off a little piece and put it into your pocket. Others say it as, not that elephants are kosher, but if elephants were kosher and we were allowed to eat elephant, how do you eat an elephant? Mouthful by mouthful. That's the job of Sukkot. From seeing the huge, humongous mountain of a relationship we have with God, And then to chip off a piece, make it a roof over us into which we can enter under and be guided by this spirituality of the essence of my soul. Which now leads me to the next and last final part. What is the secret of these four different species? The citrus, the palm branch, the the myrtle branches, and the willow branches. The Talmud explains that each and every one of these four specific species represent achdut, unity. And he talks about why. The etrog is, is able to sustain all the four seasons on the branch. It doesn't have only a certain season that it can deal with. And then you have the willows, they grow together at the marsh, together. And the Hadassim, the myrtle branch, the way the three leaves grow around in. And the Lulav is not kosher. If it spreads, it needs to be connected, the oneness. And not only do we have these four different types, but we have to bring these four different types together. Let's talk about it on a spiritual level. In these four kinds, no two are the same. The etrog has a taste and a smell. The palm comes from a tree which has taste, food. The myrtle has smell but you can't eat it. And the willow has neither smell and neither taste. In Kabbalah, taste represents to Torah knowledge. Fragrance represents to commandment observance, good deeds. So you have the person who has them both. He's a scholar and a good deed person. You have the person who's a scholar but doesn't have good deeds. You have the person who has good deeds but he's not a scholar. And then you have the person that's neither. And if you leave out the person that has neither, then you did not do the mitzvah. You can't take three species. You either have all four, or you have none. So the secret of the four species is unity between all type of people, knowing that there are people that are different, knowing that there are people that live better lives and people that live less than better lives. On top of that, I want to share with you, our sages say that on every Sukkot, God utters a prayer, and it goes like this, halavai, I don't know an English word for halavai, but in Spanish is ojalá. Halavai, that all my children would sit together in one sukkah. Now, my question here is, we're talking about the essence of the soul, shining with intensity, learning to draw down, and now we're talking about unity. They're both beautiful concepts, but what's the connection? So I want to share with you the connection. How can I truly connect to the essence of my being? I mean, let's be real. I like specifically vanilla sugar-free ice cream with sprinkles. I like to live a life that's not suffering. I like when I have spiritual moments. I don't like when I have to pray and I'm forcing myself to say every word because I just don't have patience for this right now. I like certain things. I like certain people that are like-minded. I like people that are of this type, which automatically means I don't like people that are the opposite of this type. So what's important to realize is if we see differences that were not connected to the paradigm of our essence, Because everything I just spoke to you about is all what I quoted to you before as layers. If what I'm seeing in people is layers to the point where I do not like this person because of their layers, I do like this person because of his layers, then I'm not working from the essence paradigm. Because by the definition every person's essence, which is a piece of God, is identical. Thus, the only true vessel I have to be living on the paradigm of my essence is to see everyone as an identical reflection of God's being. Thus, we're being told that being that the job of yom uh, sukkot is to absorb the intense essence relationship of yom kippur we're being told that the way to do that is by training ourselves that when we look at ourselves and when we look at another regardless how many mistakes we make regardless of how many mistakes the other person makes regardless of how holy the third person is from an essence perspective They're all one. From an essence perspective, the greatest, holiest Jew has one essence piece of God within him and the worst sinner has not less than one piece of essence within him. Thus, if we have to do prayers and we need a quorum, Moses doesn't count as two and I don't count as a half. Because the essence We're each counted as equally one. Thus, the best way to carry Yom Kippur into our sukkah, into my life, is by training myself what I ultimately see when I look in the mirror and what I ultimately see when I look in someone else's eyes. And that's what the four species are all about. Get past the taste, get past the smell see that each one is a species of god is a child of god when we can do that then we've created the true opening that the essence of our soul can have an impact and a practical impact on our lives and that's all i'm gonna unmute everyone